podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. David Simmons and this week I'm delighted to be joined by ex-football player he's now Academy Director at Nashville SC all the way from the state of Tennessee we've got Mr Jamie Smith on the show Jamie thanks for taking the time out mate pleasure thanks for having me thank ah, you you're welcome so I mean you're a product of the Celtic youth system aren't you um, what was it like coming through the ranks at Celtic as a young kid yeah listen I grew up in Glasgow and I was a Celtic fan um, so um, to be involved with the club at the youth level was was something that Every young Glasgow boy that supports um, supports Celtic uh, could dream of, you know, and and, and to, to come through the system and, and obviously represent the first team was even yeah that was even even better. It was great. It was um, yeah something as a young kid that you always want to experience and, and having having the chance and the opportunities to get to do that was was great. I don't want to keep using words like great and excellent, but it really was, you know. Yeah, I'm sure that'll get used quite a few times, mate. But um, what was what was the standard like? Was what other teammates were coming through that youth system with you? Was there any of them that went on to carve a career in the sport? Yeah, um, myself, Mark Burchill, Stephen Craney. Um, there was a couple of Irish boys, Liam Miller, Colin Healy. Um, we all kind of came through as a group together. Uh, there was a few boys that were older than us, and a few that were younger that obviously did really well. But but from the younger age groups, it was. Yeah, myself, Mark Burchill, Stephen Craney, those boys, you know. Yeah, did you, you touched on how you got called up to the first team. Do you remember that occasion when you first got your first call up to the, the first team squad? 
I think I was probably too scared. I think my mind just went blank the first time that you're you're sitting in the you're sitting in the like the youth dressing room at Barrafield and they're like, right, you're going to trim the first team today. You're like, you know, it's it's brilliant, and at the same time, it was terrifying, you know, because up until then, you look at the first team players as you know that's that's who I want to try and emulate, you know. Then all of a sudden, you're getting the opportunity to actually be on the field with them training, which was, yeah, it was it was obviously great, but scary at the same time. Yeah, I mean, well, in total, you played 66 games for Celtic, scoring six goals in all competition across five years as a senior player. You were part of the famous 2003 squad that made it to the AFA Cup final. Um, what, what was your what's your memories of that campaign? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I think it was a year that, and obviously, I, I, you know, the, the kind of statistics show I was never a starting player. That the group were just that was maybe the best Celtic team of for generations. You know. Uh, obviously, making it to the UEFA Cup final was was kind of proof of that. Um, it was the whole year. It was. I think Rangers were really strong that year. They won. The, they won the league. We. I think we ended up not winning anything that year. Um, but I do remember the European nights and ha- having some involvement in them. And I guess there was just a sense of in that competition. We, we, you know, there was something that you could just kind of sense was really positive about the group. We, we played a lot of really good teams. Um, some fantastic performances, you know, uh, making it all the way at the final. Um, obviously, typical Scottish fashion, you make it all the way at the final and you you get pipped right at the end. But that, that was also a brilliant portal team, you know. Mourinho was the manager. They had a, a whole bunch of players that went on from... Well, that portal team won the Champions League the next year. And then uh, most of those players were sold to, like, Chelsea, Barcelona, stuff like that. So it was... <coughs> they were a top-quality side. But, but I think... You know, throughout that whole run, I think we showed how good that Celtic team was. And like I said, it was, um, for me, it was definitely the best Celtic team for generations, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's talk about that night. I know that, like you said, you might not have been involved in that campaign as much as you would like. But that, that night in Seville, I mean, the Celtic support, they just completely took over that city, didn't they? Yeah, we we stayed in a place called Hereth about an hour away. So I remember we, we came in and trained the day before in the stadium. But I remember driving on the on the bus heading to to Seville, and as we kind of got into the city, I mean, you, it, you know, everyone kind of jokes, "Oh, Celtic had a million fans and all that, right?" But I don't know exactly how many were there, but pretty much as soon as we got into the city, certainly around the stadium, I mean, every, everywhere you, you looked, you just saw like green white Celtic strips. That was all. That's all you could see. Um, it was. It was. Again, just typical of the kind of Scottish fans in general, whether you're a Celtic fan, a Rangers fan, a Scotland fan. I, I, you know, in, in a little bit here, I'll speak really fondly of the Aberdeen fans as well. Um, no matter what kind of what club you support, Scottish fans are pretty unique in the world. You know, like we're, we're, we've got an unbelievable fan base that are really passionate about their team, whatever that team may be. Yeah, I mean, as I said, the result didn't quite go the way that you would have liked that night. But your Celtic career saw you win two league titles. You're part of the squad that won the League Cup in 2001 as well, beating Kelly 3-0 in the final at Hamden. Um, what, what do you remember about these occasions? What, what, what was the celebrations like after the league titles and obviously the win at Hamden? What do you recall from them? I remember getting 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 a couple of medals and feeling like... Um, I was part of the squad, but I just never played as much as I'd have wanted to, you know. But yeah, it was great. It was, it was, you know, any time you win something, it's 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 a really good feeling. It's a positive moment. Um, the celebrations were great. Um, as a young boy in that group, it was, you know, I wasn't again, I wasn't one of the the, the main kind of the mainstay players, but just 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 to experience it to be around. The, it was a team that you grew up 
as you know, being a fan of, and just to get those experiences were brilliant. I mean, like you say, I mean that squad was was fantastic. You had players like Henrik Larsson and Lubo Manavchik, Chris Sutton, just to name a few. Uh, I think you touched on this briefly earlier, but I mean, how was it like training with these guys, like picking up bits and pieces, even getting feedback from the likes of Larsson? I mean, how was it? That was your that was your full time job, mate. Spending time with these guys it obviously had some effect on you. Yeah, positively. Sorry. Yeah, no, it, it definitely did. They, they were, I mean, pretty much every single player in the team was like an international player and, and, and good ones at that. Um, and every day it was just a challenge. Every day you were training, it was such a challenge. You were taking way out your comfort zone because it was, again, the, the, the level was so high. Um, but with that, you know, you, you don't get better if you're not being challenged. So um, I think looking back now, um when I think about it, I think about how much development personally I had during those times because there was, again, every day, you can't go in and have a 50%, 75% day. It was like, certainly for me, it was like I had to be 100% or as close to that every single day. Um, but the development that, that, that you know, the, 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 that whole period, how I developed as a player was was massive. And what about the gaffer? Obviously, Martin O'Neill was in charge uh, during a spell when you were there as well. What, what was he like as a manager? I thought he was great. Um, he, he he had a unique way of um, interacting with the players. When he had John Robertson, Steve Walford as, as the assistant coaches, and um, you know you could chat away to those guys really freely. They were great. But when 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 Martin walked into the room, everyone kind of settled down. And I mean, everyone you know, not just the young boys. Everyone kind of had um, kind of went a little bit quieter. And he was the type of guy that you maybe wouldn't speak to him for about two weeks. Almost to the point where you're like, I don't know if he likes me anymore. <laughs> and then, but then, then he'd sit beside you on the bus or at lunch and make you feel like a million pounds, you know. And um, that's just a great way of kind of man management. I think when you think about all the great managers, they were they were brilliant, brilliant at managing people and different individuals, you know. Yeah, I mean, and also junior time at Celtic, you, you got capped twice for Scotland in friendly match against Austria and Ireland. Um, that must have been a, a huge privilege representing the country. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, it's when you're a little boy uh, growing up, to get the chance to play for your um, for the club that you support is, you know, something that you you just yeah you can't really quite put your finger on it what it means. But to get to play for your country is just I mean it's probably even bigger. You know, it's just to get to play for Scotland and I, I represented Scotland through all the youth levels. Um, but to get your full kind of call up and get your full caps it was something that you, you don't really plan for <laughs> you, you don't really think about because um, you can't really as a, as a young boy you don't really see it happening but yeah fortunately for me and privileged to get to, to represent the country at a full level I mean after your career finished at Celtic you moved over to Holland for a season I hope I get this right it was Dutch club Edo Den Haag yeah, Haag, yeah. yeah but, uh, what was the standard like over in Holland compared to over here in Scotland it was great it was, the standard was it's going to sound like um, I think the standard across the board in Holland was excellent so you would go and play a kind of lower level team and we, we were kind of bottom half the table team uh, you go and play a team that was similar to us and the quality was fantastic I mean huge emphasis, emphasis on getting the ball down the ground and, and playing they're, they're, like, they just don't really tolerate goalkeepers punting the ball up the field and stuff like that so everything was you know Keepers were rolling out, passing out to the fullbacks or the centre backs, and you would try to always play through, like you know, play up the field, pass the ball up the field. Um, but the standard across the board was was excellent. Now at that time, Celtic and Rangers were both really strong, 
Um, then there was a bunch of clubs, kind of, I would say, behind Celtic and Rangers in Holland. You had Feyenoord's, Ajax and PSV Eindhoven. And then you, you had a bigger group of teams or clubs that were behind that. But the, the overall quality was just really, really good. I mean, when that, when that move came along, was, was that the right move for you? Was that the right time to move on from Celtic? It was the right time to move from Celtic, for sure, because um, I was offered a contract, but Martin O'Neill said, listen, you're, you're not going to play as much as you as you need to or as much as you want to. So it was kind of it was kind of that way where I knew it was time to leave Celtic. Um, and then going to Holland, different culture, different language, different type of football. The experience again there was 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 great for what was going to come next in my career. Uh, I think the biggest change for me was, aside from the different type of football and all that stuff and different language, it was it was um, playing week in week out, which at the senior level, at the professional level, I wasn't used to because that that kind of four or five year period where I was involved with the first team at Celtic, I was. I was a bit part player, but I was never a starting player, you know. I was never in the starting 11 consistently. So that was the biggest change for me, was just kind of getting my head around playing playing it every game, week in, week out. I mean, after uh, that season in Holland, you returned back to Scotland for the 05-06 season and joined Aberdeen. Um, yeah. After a season in Holland, was the move to Pataudry the right one for you? Were you looking to get back over to Scotland? Yeah, my my, my wife. Um, we, we we just really young kids at the time, and, and it was it was just a challenge with three young kids. Um, so my wife moved back to Scotland. Um, so I always knew that it was just get through this season. I actually signed a three year contract in Holland, but after the first year, you know, sat down with the head coach, and you know, just said, "Listen, my wife and kids are back home." And they were like, yeah, I think it's right for you to go back. So to get the opportunity to come back to not just the UK, but Scotland, it was, was, was absolutely the right thing for, it was the right thing for my career at the time. I thought, you know, when I look back and it was obviously right for my family. I mean, I think you won the fans quite over, won the fans over, sorry, quite quickly up at Bittodri. You scored the late winner against Rangers in only your third match uh, for the Dons to knock them out of the League Cup. Uh, what was life like now applying your trade for a different club in Scotland? Obviously, you had um, like your pledge of allegiance to Celtic and now you're, you're up in Aberdeen. Did you fit in quite quickly up there? Yeah, I, I knew a lot of the players because I'd played with them at the, like, the Scottish youth teams and stuff and even the youth players, we played against each other you know, all the time. So I knew a lot of the players already. Um, and then, to, to, yeah, it's always strange putting on a, you know, putting on a new uh, a new jersey, a new strip, um, especially when it's in your own country. You know, it's always a little bit different. Um, but I, I love my time at Aberdeen. Uh, it was great. It was four years uh, up there. Um, had its challenges like everything does, but overall I just loved it. And good rapport with the fans. They, they were great to me. Um Love playing for the, the two Jimmies and those guys. It was that was excellent, you know. Um, but yeah, can't speak highly enough about my time at Aberdeen. I mean, what what were they like as characters? I take it you're talking about Jimmy Calderwood and Jimmy Nickel. Oh, they were brilliant. Yeah, because they, they were both um, both big, obviously big Rangers fans, very well documented Rangers fans, right? And I remember that actually the game against um, when I scored uh, as my first goal for Aberdeen against Rangers, and it was like a last minute goal. I remember after the game. 
Jimmy, Jimmy Colwood came in and he, he was obviously delighted that we'd won the game, but he came in and said, ah, you, you wouldn't have done that against Celtic, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. That speaks volumes about the kind of characters that they were. Um, you did score, You scored a few key goals for Aberdeen. Um, you scored twice in December 2007 in the UEFA Cup campaign against FC Copenhagen, which seen Aberdeen obviously reach the, th- the last 32 of that tournament. Uh, do you remember that European campaign now with Aberdeen playing a much more first-team part? Yeah, I do. Yeah, we we um, we 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 had a good season the previous year. And it, we, I think we finished finished third in the league and we qualified for the um, for the UEFA Cup. We had a qualifier game against the Nipro from Ukraine, who were a really good team. They were really talented. Um, I remember playing the first game at Pitodre. Bit of a kind of nothing really happened. Both teams cancelled each other out. Um, we didn't concede an away goal, which was good. Then we went to we went over to. Um, to Dnipro over to Ukraine to play the second leg of the tie and that was definitely an experience it was an old Kremlin stadium their, their fans were pretty full on you know um, I remember training the night before the game and they were you know a bunch of fans must have congregated outside the stadium and started like burning tyres and stuff so we tried to train there's this black smoke just like coming over the fields um, but that, that was you know Great performance that night. We drew one one. Darren Mackey scored a really good goal, and we 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 held on for sure because they were just very. They had a lot of Ukrainian national team players and a lot of players you'd never heard of. But really good. Um, so we we kind of held on. Jamie Langfield made some some big saves that night, and yeah, we got through the group stages, and then it continued from there. It was the group stages were interesting as well. I bet. So after 85 appearances, 12 goals for Aberdeen in 2009, it was time for you to move on. Uh, did you leave Pataudry on good terms with the club? I did, yeah. Um, I had, you know, my second season I had to get two surgeries, so I missed a lot of that. And then my last season, my fourth season, injuries kind of come back in again. So I definitely um, struggled on that front. And the manager, Jimmy, Jimmy and the staff were leaving the club after I think five years Jimmy was there. They were leaving the club and um, the reality is the club, they didn't really want to offer me a contract, I think probably because of the injuries, which is totally understandable. That's the business that we're in. That's that's their prerogative. Um, so it was. I knew it was probably time to move on from Aberdeen. We, we didn't want to leave because we, we loved the place. We loved the city family were settled but um, yeah it was you know there wasn't really an option to stay No that's fair enough I mean in, in 2009 you did you made the move across the pond over to Colorado Rapids um, how was that move from Scotland over to the States I mean was there any other clubs that you could have potentially joined at that stage I think there was probably I think there was not probably there was, there was a couple of opportunities in England uh, kind of lower, lower kind of leagues in England um, which wasn't really as appealing Um through my connection with Steve Guppy, I played with Steve at Celtic. Steve is the assistant manager in Colorado. So Steve called me and was like, what are you doing? What are you thinking about? And um, I know that Paul Lambert had called me as well about going, going down to England because Paul, Paul Lambert had just taken, I think it was Colchester job maybe. Um, so obviously it was a choice between Colchester or Denver, Colorado. So I went out to Denver for, for a couple of weeks and it's pretty... It's pretty difficult not to like Denver, Colorado. I got there in July. It was like 90 degrees, blue skies and sunshine. You get the Rocky Mountains. We went to the, you know, did the tour of the stadium and started training. Everything was just immaculate. The stadium was great. The training field was excellent. Um, so that was just, that was like, yeah, this is, this is a good place to be. And, um, when I went out for the two weeks, I, you know, got the offer to sign the contract, signed there. 
did all the visa stuff and all the paperwork. But yeah, that, that was how that kind of materialised. It was through my connection with Steve Guppy, who I'd played with. And there you go. So did the whole family move over with you at that time, or was that later on? They moved, they moved over a little bit later, and it's probably <coughs> um, it's probably a good thing because we just left Aberdeen, and we were kind of in between, and the kids were going to be unsettled. So we thought, let me go out here first, to, just to see how it goes, because it's one of those ones you just don't know what it's going to be like. Again, different culture, different type of football. Um, Although everyone speaks the same language here, uh, it was there was a, definitely a transitional period in trying to like kind of get used to the culture in the US because it just it's just different. Um, so the family stayed back for, for a while until I kind of got settled. Um, and then I think the first first um, couple of games, I got a bad knee injury and ended up being out for about eight months with that. I had to get surgery and everything. So. Um, but it was listen. It was it was part of the experience, and I'm still you know almost twelve years later. I'm still here in the US. You know? <laughs> I mean, we talked about how the standard was different in the in Holland compared to Celtic. How how was the standard over in the states when you joined Colorado? Were you surprised at obviously how good the standard was, or were you obviously expecting that going over? No, I think I think everyone's got a kind of misconception that the MLS or the you know football or soccer as we call it over here is not not as as good as it is in Europe and. Certainly, obviously, the English Premier League and the, 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 like the Bundesliga and all these big leagues are just that they are the highest level. Um, but moving over here, I would probably say I was I wasn't expecting to be as good, um, and it was it was much better than I thought it was going to be. And then again, you, you go 10, 12 years later, and it's even better again. Um, there's a you know there's there's a great sporting infrastructure here in the US. There was loads of um, there's loads of really good athletes. You know boys that are physically in great condition. Um, so that that was obviously challenging uh, to get to get to adapt to that. But yeah, it was enjoyable. I, I, it was it was great to make the make the move over. Yeah, I mean, on a personal level, I mean, I'm a football coach myself over here in Scotland, and obviously one thing lockdown's brought us is, like, Zoom meetings like this, what we're doing right now. So going through the SFA pathway over here, I was surprised at the amount of American coaches and Canadian coaches that were actually joining in with that. How How is the standard of coaching over there? I take it there's a, a big influx of, of young, enthusiastic coaches coming through in America as well. There, There is now, um, I would say... For the most part, if you think about the, the kind of main American sports—baseball, basketball, American football—they're all very coach-centric, so they're coach-driven. The coach will call the plays. He's the—he's the one that decides what's going to happen. That's just American sport, and that's definitely translated over into you know into youth football, um, youth soccer. Um, but there's been a big shift. I think the U.S. Soccer Federation have done a really good job with. Um, the coach education system Major League Soccer have done a great job with the coach education system so both between the federation and the league we've got you know there, there's there's multiple pathways and there's multiple ways that coaches can develop and uh, I, I'm kind of a product of that to be honest I, I came through the US system and the MLS system um, Major League Soccer work closely with the French Federation and obviously in France there's a bunch of good you know, excellent coaches excellent players so I've, I've had experience both with French Federation US Soccer Federation and it's been it's definitely helped me develop as a coach Fantastic I mean we did talk going back to your sort of career um, we touched on how you got a bad injury quite early on in uh, your campaign with Colorado you bounced back in total you made 62 appearances scoring 7 times for the Rapids before calling it a day in January 2014 um was it at this point that you moved into the, the academy coaching side of things with Colorado? Yeah, I think it was the November 2011 we were playing a playoff game in 
for those who don't know, Americans love their playoff sports, you know, uh, and the MLS is set up the same way. It's actually great. We, we benefited from it in 2010 at Colorado because we didn't finish top of the league, but we, we, we made the playoff spot and we ended up winning the whole, over the whole you know, the MLS Cup Championship. So um, that was great. You get to go and visit the White House and meet Barack Obama and stuff, which was which was totally surreal. Um, but um, I got the injury at the end of 2011 and it was a, a completely ruptured my cruciate ligament. So my knee was not good. I came back after about eight months, nine months, and I just didn't feel the same. I, tried, I played for another year and a half. It got to the end of 2013, and Colorado weren't going to offer me a contract. Similar to Aberdeen, you know, like I was 33 at that time and just wasn't playing at the same level as I previously could play at. Um, but the club did say we'd love you to be part of the academy program. So I, I kind of didn't have much time to think about it. I jumped straight from from deciding I was going to retire, which was a big decision to like within like four or five days having to take a team at the at the Colorado Rapids Academy. So um, that was a bit of time to dwell on things and wrap my head around it. It was just like go from playing and coaching straight away. And for anyone that's done it, I'm sure they'll agree it's it's a different job, completely different job. Playing the game is one thing. It's great to have played the game and have that experience and carry that forward to you when you start coaching. But um, but you know, it's a different, it's a completely different role as a player. You're more selfish, right? You look after yourself. Everything you do is about yourself. And when you become a coach, none of, none of it's about you. And everything's about the players. So that was that was definitely something that I had to kind of wrap my head around. But I didn't again. I didn't have too much time to dwell on retiring. You know, something I've done for 17, 18 years. I just it was right. I need to jump into this new new role, this new job. I mean, well, that was when you were at Colorado. You're now down in. Uh... Nashville and Tennessee today are head of academy at the newly founded Nashville SC and um, what does your role involve there? So I, I oversee the whole academy program so we've got currently we've got three teams we, we started with the younger age groups under 13s 14s 15s um, and you know we wanted to take more of a kind of organic approach start with the younger age groups and just grow every year um, so basically I oversee the whole program from the coaching methodology, curriculum, um, all those kind of technical components to the kind of structure uh, residency program where we can bring kids in to stay on campus. Uh, we've just we've just moved into a brand new facility, which is which is excellent. I mean, it's we've got three fields, two grass fields, and a turf field. We've got all the technology that we need. The the, the club the club have been the resources the club have provided the academy program is just amazing. You know, it's. We certainly never had that grown up, even at Celtic, but that's obviously a sign of the times. But we've got, you know, the, the club have been, the support that I've had from the club has been nothing short of just excellent, you know. And, you know, we've got, I oversee 10 staff members, we've got three teams. So it's it's exciting to be here, to be in the new facility, to oversee every component of the academy. Uh, I miss the coaching side of things because I don't coach a team. I mean, I'm on the field every night, I'm, I'm more helping the coaches and coaching the coaches if you will yeah I mean obviously the main aim is obviously to bring these kids through to play for the first team um, I had a quick google is, am I right seeing the first team play at the Nissan Stadium is that right yeah we are um, so that's the the American football stadium we're playing, we're playing at right now but we are in the process of constructing building our own stadium which will be ready in I think it's 2000 some point next year the stadium's going to be ready and it'll be the 
it's going to be the largest soccer-specific stadium in the US, which is which is really exciting. You know, the plans and everything for it look amazing. So we're at the Nissan, at the Nissan Stadium right now, which is the where the Tennessee Titan American football team play. Um, in fact, that, that facility looks frightening. It looks unbelievable. Yeah, well, our first game before COVID hit, um, uh, our first game, like the first team had last year, the, the inaugural game, we had like 60,000 fans in the stadium. The place was packed. It was it was fantastic. I mean, you mentioned when you jumped from Scotland over to Colorado, the, the sunny summer with the Rocky Mountains in the background. How's the transition been from going to Colorado down to Nashville? Obviously, it's quite well known as being at the music scene in Nashville. But what, mm-hmm. What's it like living there and setting up home there now? Yeah, this place is this place is great. I mean, right now, if I opened the blinds behind me, you'd see the place is covered in snow. We we got a lot of snow, which is not common for 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 um, for Tennessee. But we, but I mean, it's the weather's great. The, the place is excellent. It's a, it's a really nice place to live. Um, it's one of those destinations that everyone wants to come to. You know, like people are moving here. I don't know. They were saying it was like between 50 and 60 people moving here every single day um, to the kind of Nashville area. So this place is expanding and growing. But it's just, it's just a nice place to be. It's, it's, a, it's a great part of the country to live. I mean, um, so is Nashville home for now or is there a, a plan to return to Scotland or is America home for life? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> for now, we're, we're, you know, we want to stay here. You know, my, my kids have spent way more than half their lives in the US um, so they are this is you know I think this will be home for them yeah. Um, but yeah this is you know it's for now it's stay here uh, I love the job that I'm in getting to work with young players and getting to be part of a really exciting MLS club um, so for now it's definitely just to hang out here and see what happens Ah, fantastic. I mean, obviously here in Scotland, I mean, some of my friends had the opportunity to do it when we were younger as well, is they go over to America, they do football or soccer scholarships, like you say, or they come over and they help out in summer camps. Obviously, due to COVID, that's probably not going to happen this summer. Um, what, what sort of effect have you seen COVID have on football over there in the States? It's um, it's definitely affected. It's definitely affected everything, every kind of walk of life, and it's affected, you know, pretty much every family. Um on the football side, it's you know we're, we're doing as much as we can. We, we've got our players in training. We've got all our COVID protocols in place. Um, I know the league shut down for you know quite a few months last last year. The MLS shut down for quite a few months because, like like everything, you know every league it was just a case of how do we deal with this, how do we cope with it. Um, and I do think it was um, it's been incredibly challenging for for most people. Uh, obviously. I get to do something that I love. I get to be on football field every night. Um, so we, we've adapted. We've been really resilient through the whole process and, you know, hoping that we're going to kind of move out of this, transition out of this soon, you know, and get back to what people call some kind of normality. Get fans back in stadiums, bums on seats, yeah. enjoying the sport again. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I wish you all the best in Nashville, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Jamie Smith. Thank you very much, folks.
This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Network.